This morning, I want to continue our good news series. I think it's going to kind of pop up there in a moment. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, so, good news is the series, thank you, that we're looking at together. And I have the joy and privilege of entering into this uh, series as well. And I've entitled this morning's wor- uh, word, Abundant Grace. It's, um, for those of you who don't know, we don't choreograph our meetings. And so it's astounding to me the amount of times you walk into a meeting. I kind of know what I'm going to preach, but I wonder whether it will kind of fit. Virtually every word that came and every song that was sung by people who have no idea what I'm going to speak on has come already through the contributions. And it's wonderful to be in a church where you're open to the Spirit of God and you're saying, Lord, we're just, we're just open to what you want to share with us. Don't ever... Take that for granted, please, that we live in an age where we're just... Some of you can think, well, we're singing a song, and we, but God, the Holy Spirit, is just overseeing everything and making everything work together. So I, am, I, I don't know if I need to preach the sermon, but I think I probably will. Um, and I'm very excited because of all the contributions that have confirmed it. Uh, two weeks ago, in this Good News series, we were looking at what the message of the gospel is. Hannah did an outstanding uh, work last week by talking about the results of the gospel, justification, uh, sanctification, glorification, all these wonderful truths. And this morning, the reason I want to talk about abundant grace is it's not long before you track the gospel and good news that you end up with this word. The word is grace. Our first song, amazing grace, abundant grace. And it's a good news word. And the reason that I want to share this with you today is even if you've heard about grace before, you can't hear it enough. There's something about the grace of God that every time you hear about it, something else, a penny drops. As we heard from that prophetic word, something drips. Something of that first line of the poem begins to drip down into you. And so we mentioned the word of of grace, and I want to look at this morning, why is this such good news. And I've got three aspects of this uh, grace, all to do with the word truth. And the first thing I want to look at is that this is a wonderful truth. It is a wonderful truth that all of us should really know in our lives. I think that when you go on as a Christian, one of the aims of the enemy is to rob you of grace. It's to take you on different tracks so you feel that you have to do something or you have to earn something or we live in the world. Have you noticed our society doesn't have a lot of grace going on at the moment? And, uh, and, and so we're living in a world where we're robbed of grace. We're robbed of the wonderful truth of grace. We forget about it. It doesn't penetrate us as we should or it's robbed, taken away by the world in which we live. Grace is a most glorious, wonderful truth. It's one of those things that you can take for granted and get over familiar with, but I don't want you ever to do that, and I don't want me to ever do that. There's a well-known story of uh, C.S. Lewis, who was an Oxford don, and they used to meet in this pub, and the, the religious philosophers and the apologists, the theologians, would gather together and would regularly argue about Christianity. And on one particular occasion, the topic of conversation was, what is the difference between Christianity and all other world religions? Now, C.S. Lewis was known for being very animated and being very articulate and always 
speaking his, his mind. And so the conversation began, and he said nothing. And it went round and round in circles. What's the difference between Christianity and all the other world religions? And everyone was arguing about what the difference was. And he said nothing, which was really infuriating to everybody else. Because they all knew that he normally takes part in the conversation. He was saying nothing. And in the end, one of the professors couldn't stand it any longer and turned around and said, why are you not speaking into this? He said, because the answer is so obvious. They said they all looked at him after hours of, of, of kind of theologically trying to argue what's so obvious. Well, the difference is grace. The one difference between Christianity and all other world religions is in this one, you're not trying to earn salvation. You're not trying to be good enough. You don't even have to do things to earn salvation. The difference between Christianity and all other worlds is grace that speaks of a God who has come to us rather than us trying to get to him. If you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses. You can go anywhere in the Bible to talk about grace, but this is one of my favorite bits. So we'll go there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is a difficult chapter to read and for you to remain silent while I'm reading it. But hey-ho, we're in England, so you probably will just about get through. But if you can't, Raise a hallelujah. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in. In them. Amen. Two out of ten for contribution. Well done. If I'd been in certain other nations of the world, I wouldn't have even got through that chapter, but there we go. In this passage, we see three good news stories. Three good news stories connected to this topic of grace. The first is this, and this is good news. It's all to do with God's initiation. He is the one who does it all and not you. Why? Well, verse 1 gives us the answer. You were dead. Verse 5 says the same thing, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, I might not be the only person that kind of gets this, but when you're dead, there's not a lot you can do about your situation. Would you agree with that? 
I mean, when you're dead, you don't kind of move much. There's not much life in you because you're dead. The Bible says that all of us, those first three verses, were describing you and me before we were in Christ. We were dead. There are no shades of deadness. Some of you, before you were a Christian, I'm looking at some of you, you knew you were spiritually dead. You knew that you were dead. Some of us are just prone to be a little bit not so sure. Church kids, how many of you were raised in church? Put your hand up. So a lot of you, look at that, church kids particularly. If your parents were Christians, etc., you can fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's people who are addicted to drugs and drink and way away from God, they're really, really dead. And I'm a kid raised in church, so I'm not quite as dead as them. <laughs> this is what the Bible says. You were dead. So if you were raised in church and you're a Christian here this morning, you're a miracle. There's no point thinking they've got amazing testimonies and I've got a really boring one. The testimony is you were dead and now you're alive. And for that to happen, and you didn't do anything about it, this is the grace of God. None of us deserve this. None of us, just when you're born into a Christian family, doesn't make you a Christian. This is a miracle for each and every one of us. Verse 4 and verse 5. But God, being rich in mercy. This is his initiation. So we're dead, but God stepped in. Wow. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, even when we were dead, made us alive, breathed life into us, resurrected us, called us out of the grave, made us to be his children. He is the initiator. He is the sustainer. He is the finisher. He's the one who gets all the glory because he's the one who initiated. You would still be dead today. You would not be a child of God if he hadn't breathed his life into you and made us alive with Christ. This first good news story in this passage about grace is that not you, you and I did not find Jesus, but he found us and breathed life into us. I don't know why it is, but throughout the Christian world, we get people up on stages to give their testimonies if they've got really, really juicy testimonies. You know, and... and and it's okay, but a lot of it is kind of about them. And you know the kind of testimony, I used, to, I used to be a drug addict, I had a real drink problem, I used to hang around with women, and then when I was five, I began to... <laughs> and we're all sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, what an amazing testimony. But the reality is, it's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about his grace and his mercy. He steps in. Good news story number two. You're approved. You didn't deserve it, but you're approved by God. Verse five, interestingly enough, says you have been saved. Notice that even when you were dead, past tense in your trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved past tense so the moment you and I put our faith in Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross and understand and believe that he took 
our place and our sins were forgiven, the sort of things that Hannah was talking about last week, and our sins have been eradicated, and now we've been clothed in Christ. We understand this, that at the cross, there was a once and for all act by Jesus, and at that moment, through that work, if you believe in him, you are approved forever. It's it's an amazing thing. You as a child of God, this is the grace of God, are not trying to gain approval. If you believe in the cross, there's nothing that can add to you being approved by putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It was a once and for all sacrifice. Listen, it was enough to approve you forever. There is nothing that needs to be added to the finished work of the cross. It's enough for your sins to be forgiven, for your sins to be eradicated. It's enough for you, it's enough at the cross and the blood of Jesus for God to now look upon you and say, you are now my child, I approve you. You are approved and you are part of me forever. Hallelujah. You're not trying to win approval. I meet Christians all the time that are still trying to meet approval from people, approval from God, approval from others that they might comment to them. They're desperately trying to find approval. You're already approved by God. And do you know what? If everyone else rejects you, God will never reject you. He has approved you for all time. Hallelujah. You're not trying to get saved. Through the cross, you are saved. You're not trying to be good enough or trying to be a child of God even. You are now a child of God. That is what you are. This all happened in that moment through the cross, which is why as a church we like to sing and worship and think a lot about the cross. Because through the cross, so much happened at that moment. It's past tense. Did you know the grace of God over your life says this? It's already done. You're approved by God. You can't add to it. It's enough. And the wonder of all of this is this. It's totally undeserved. We're approved, but we didn't deserve approval. We didn't do something that was good enough. So God goes, okay, tick, you're approved then. We did nothing. We were dead. It's the approval of God. Totally undeserved. Which is why we say to people this. Don't sort your life out and then come to God. The grace of God is this. Come to God with all your mess. Get approved by him and then he's the one that will sort the mess out as you walk in him. Good news story number three. Grace is a gift. Let's look at verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no no one can boast. The good news story is this, you were dead, he came and initiated, made you alive. The good news story of grace is this, that he has now approved you as a child of God forever through the cross. The good news story of grace is this, grace is a gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work for it, you can't deserve it, you can't better yourself so that then you will somehow deserve it. We still live in a nation where people think, if I'm good enough, then God will say, welcome into my... Being good is neither here nor there. Because the grace of God is not, I'm good enough, so therefore, because I'm good enough, therefore, he will give me a gift. He gives you a gift when you're dead in your sins. He gives you a gift when you're a sinner. He gives you a gift when you are aware that I don't deserve this gift at all. 
It's totally unfair. <clears throat> See, verse 9 gives us a hint as to why this is so important. Because if it was us, look at what verse 9 says, we'd start boasting, wouldn't we? I mean, I would be the first up say, look, because of me and what I've done, I'm boasting now. In what I have brought to the party, what I have done to earn my salvation, <clears throat> the reality is this. I've got nothing to boast of because the only way I can get into the kingdom of God is by receiving this gift that I do not deserve. Why? Why? This is a repercussion straight away of a gift that you can't earn but is freely given to you. There are repercussions. One repercussion is this. Surely you're going to start asking yourself this question. So why me? Of all the people... Why me? And I'm looking at you and I'm thinking exactly the same. <laughs> and this is the wonder of the grace of God, the mystery of God that we will live with all through our lives. Exactly. I didn't deserve it. But I've got this gift. This is such good news. How come? And there's no easy answer, but verse 4 gives you a little hint. This is what it says in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I can only surmise the reason that he's given you the gift of grace is that he loves you. That's the only reason you can ever find out. And if you're not a Christian here today and you're wondering how do I have this experience of God that all the people around me seems to have is to reach out and receive this gift on the basis of the fact that God loves you. That is the only reason. Here's another repercussion, what I would call motivation. You see, when you become a Christian, there is a kind of, you have to be motivated, don't you, to continue the Christian life. Romans 12 verse 1 just says very simply this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You don't just offer your bodies as a living sacrifice through duty and discipline and having to do things. Because of God's mercy, in other words, I'm going to live the rest of my life overwhelmed by the mercy of God. This thing I do not deserve. I can't believe it. I wake up tomorrow morning and it's just the same. And the day after, every day of my life, I wake up realizing God's done enough. <clears throat> He's shown his love to me enough. He's given me enough right now. God doesn't have to do anything else in my life for the rest of my life to keep me motivated to serve him. He's already done enough already. Now, God loves you, and he's going to do 101 tons of other things anyway, but the basis of getting out of bed in the morning and loving him and serving him and wanting to give my life to him is because of my understanding that I didn't deserve this, and I couldn't earn it, and I never will deserve it. But God, in his love and mercy, has reached out to me, and he has poured his love into my life. It's enough to motivate me to serve and live for him. Why is this important? Life gets hard. Life can get tough. Life can throw things at you that you do not see coming. I mean, the longer I'm around and the more people I know, and I happen to know a lot, I mean, even this last week, I've just heard of two unbelievable tragedies that have happened to friends of mine in other churches. Unbelievable. And uh, listen, I were in trouble with worship this morning because when you sing certain songs, you think of your friends. And it's overwhelming. But you see, if it, was, if it was, okay, buck up. Come on, get going. My friends are going through tragedies. Come on, you should know better. You're a Christian. No, it's to stand back and, and say, 
Jesus has already paid the price. He's done enough. And I don't understand things that happen in life, but I've received this gift from God and no one's going to take it away. The Bible says nothing, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The worst tragedies you can think of, nothing takes you. Why? Because he's the one who initiated. He's the one who approved. He's the one who gave you the gift. And he not only initiates it, but he sustains you, and he's the one. He's the only one that's going to be at the end of your life. Everyone else is going to, we'll go to the funeral, but that's the end. He will go with you on into eternity. Hallelujah. This is a wonderful truth. Isn't this, anyone agree what I've been saying for the last 10, 15 minutes? Please help me. Well done, someone at the back. It's a wonderful, glorious, life-changing truth. The things you're hearing, it's not me, it's the word of God, all of this. This is the best, glorious, good news you will ever, ever hear for the rest of your life. There is no better. Another aspect of the grace of God, which is good news, is that it's also a transforming truth. It's not only a wonderful truth, but it's a transforming truth. And um, this is more good news. I mean, how much good news can anyone take in a sermon? This is more good news. And the, the, the it's a wonderful truth, but it's a transforming truth in regards to this. It's more than a doctrine. So what I've just said to you in the last 15 minutes, you go, wow, 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 it's amazing, and it is. But the grace of God was never meant to be just a doctrine that you understood. It was meant to come and permeate your life. When, when Reuben was bringing his word, I'm, I, I was thinking, he's been looking at my notes in my Bible before he stood up. Because this is exactly the point I want to make. It's here in my notes. The grace of God... It's a wonderful truth and a doctrine you can hear, but God's work will is that it now permeates, it drips into, it permeates every part of your life. It has the power to change and transform you. Can we just look at 1 Corinthians 15? I know you're not supposed to have favorite verses in the Bible because all the Bible is inspired word of God. Amen. I have a couple of favorite ones and this is one of them. And the reason is it's just so full of truth. This is Paul talking about himself and where he's been and what he's done and he's undeserving of the grace of God. And then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or I am who I am. It's what, who I am now by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Other translations had not without effect. In other words, the grace of God changed me. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. There are three results right there. See, here's a man who preaches the doctrine of the grace of God. And then in this verse, he tells us three different ways in which this doctrine has permeated his life. First of all, he says, it's given me a new identity. I am what I am now by the grace of God. I'm not what I was I am now this person. You used to think of me like this and this and this, but now the grace of God has made me to be this. The second is that it's permeated me and changed me right from the inside out. It's not without effect. It's not in vain. It wasn't just a doctrine. It was alive. This truth was so alive that it changed me at the very root of my being. And I love this. Third repercussion is this. Yet not I. In other words, my striving 
my efforts to win favor have come to an end. I work hard, he says, like everybody else, yet it doesn't feel like it because I'm buoyed along by the grace of God. It really, really has changed me. I no longer strive. I'm no longer driven. I'm in his grace and mercy. So grace is actually beyond words, even though the words we've heard from the word of God from Ephesians 2 are liberating words. However, knowing the doctrine alone is not enough. I absolutely know this because in my life, I have come across preachers of the doctrines of the grace of God. And they preach the doctrine of the grace of God. And when you hang out with them afterwards, they're the most miserable people you've ever met in your life. Seriously. You can preach the doctrines and then be just miserable, without joy, without anything. I've met them. Some of you are in... No, sorry. So it's like, it's like, how on earth can you possibly preach that truth and then actually be a kind of person I don't want to hang out with at all? Because your whole life is just miserable. The answer, of course, is the doctrine that they've proclaimed has not yet permeated. It has not changed them as to who they should be. So the transforming truth is this, that the power of the doctrine, the grace of God, first of all, changes you right on the inside at the very core of your being. It's an identity issue. That's the first thing. When you're a child of God, what's what's transforming truth about the wonderful truth is a revelation of this is now who I am. He has changed me. I am a new creation. I am in Christ Jesus. You say, Dave, you are a white person. You are middle class. You are older than you used to be. You're in the final decades of your life. Blah, blah, blah. You can go on and on. The more you know about me, you can make comments about me. But none of those things are my absolute identity. There's truths in them. But my real identity is I am now a child of God. I am now in Christ. And everything else I am comes out from that. My identity is not what I do. My identity isn't in how well I am doing. The first thing that permeates is that you know on the inside. This is so important. Trying to wake you all up. You've got to stop saying, if only I was like her, then maybe God will. Or if only I was as gifted as him, because I'm looking at him and I can understand why God would give him the gift of grace. You have to come to a place where you realize, I am who I am by the grace of God. This is what I've become. This is now what defines me. Can you say that? Can you stand in front of the mirror? And once you've got over, you've got over the, the things that you're looking at, say, nevertheless, I am what I am by the grace of God. Some people don't like me. Some people are my friends. To some people I'm this. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm... I'm all these things that kind of identify me, but actually I want to stand in front of that mirror and say, with all the mess and all the mistakes I've made in my life, I am what I am by the grace of God. This is truth transforming me from the inside out. We have such an 
image problem in our world today. It's all external, where real good news is what changes you internally. There's a new you at the root of who you are in Christ. How do I know whether God's grace is more than a doctrine and it's permeated your life? Well, I can't tell it here this morning. I can't tell it in a meeting. Because the more you are a Christian, the longer you are, you know how to behave as a Christian. And so you might be going through a terrible, terrible time at the moment. You might have been really fed up and you might have woken up this morning with all kinds of struggles and problems all over you. And I guarantee that when you walk through the door and there's people with black t-shirts on a lovely yellow lanyards and they said, good morning, how are you? You said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. uh, Yes, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Let us enter his courts with praise and See, see, you know, and the first song, Stan, we all go, like, I have no idea when you raise your hands how you're really, really doing. So I, I don't know whether the grace of God is permeating your life in meetings. How am I going to out, find out? The answer is simple. I come to live with you. It only takes, I reckon, two or three days. So Tom and Jack, let me come live with you <laughs> for three days. Let me see how you... Get on together in your marriage. Let me have a look at how you get on with your kids. Let's see how you are. Let me come to work with you. Let me hang out with you. Because when we hang out with one another, we begin to discover in life whether the grace of God has really permeated our lives. So if I came to live with you, and I found out, for example, after a few days, you are prone to feeling condemned. I think I put my arm around you and say, do you know what? Can I just encourage you, the grace of God has no condemnation in your life. Please understand that though you feel condemned, the gospel has set you free. You are no longer, condemned people are guilty people. You've been made innocent through the blood of Jesus. See, that truth has not yet permeated your life. It's truth, it doesn't change. But you're struggling because you feel condemned. Something's got to, the gap's got to be joined. Or maybe I discover when I hung out with you that you're prone to self-pity. Just, oh yeah, I know all these things, but oh dear, I thought it's poor me. I'm so, you know, if you only knew my problems. I think I would start talking to you about the gospel. First line of the poem. I think I'd start saying to you, just speak the gospel to yourself. When you feel full of self-pity, just remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Let thanks begin to rise from within you. This is grace permeating your life. Or maybe I'd find and just hang out with you for a bit and I'd find you, you're a person that essentially always strives. There's something in you, you kind of sing the songs and you know the truth, but inside of here you're still striving. I think I'd start talking to you about rest. I think I'd start talking about the finished work and the rest that we can now have in Jesus. What if I found out that you were anxious? I think we'd start talking about the peace of God. Or if I found that you were prone to being rejected so easily. Someone says something to you and you feel terribly rejected. I think we'd be having a conversation about being accepted through Jesus. I mentioned it earlier, didn't I? Approval. If I found that you were always looking for approval in people, always worried about what everyone else thinks, have to be popular with everybody. This is a horrible slavery Because it doesn't matter how good you are and how popular you are with people, there's always going to be somebody else that doesn't like you. It's endless and it cripples people. I think we'll be talking about the grace of God saying, but you're approved of God. 
It's your new identity. Do you know that grace is important for marriage? Grace is important for raising our children. Grace is important even in the workplace. Grace is important this morning if you are single. Whether you're doing well or whether you're struggling. It brings us to that other little phrase there we read in 1 Corinthians 15.10 where Paul says, not I, not self-effort. Grace is available. It's kind of like banked up in heaven for you. Grace in time of need. Whatever you're facing in life, there is enough grace to permeate your life to deal with every situation. There are some of you this morning who need to respond to this. There's some of you this morning still struggling with your self-acceptance, with your identity. Some of you can't stand in that mirror and find that mirror and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah. It's so important that we're able to get to that place in our lives. Grace that's available for every situation. We need to learn to tap into the grace of God and his mercy. Here's the third and final um, aspect of this wonderful truth of grace. It's an infectious truth. It's not only wonderful. Know the doctrine. It's so transforming. It's transforming because it permeates our life. And then it's infectious. Good news is in you. You're carrying it. Good news is there for you to give away. To affect others. To rub off onto others. The Bible says freely you have received. Freely give. How our society needs today to see and experience the grace of God. To see it on display. There's a story in the early church where Barnabas was sent down to, from Jerusalem to a place called Antioch because a whole load of Gentiles, non-Jews, had become Christians. And the Jews and, back in Jerusalem were confused about this and they were saying, are these people for real? Have they really become Christians? I wonder if I said to you, we've heard in Luton, there's a whole people who got saved. I don't know why Luton just came into my mind. And they've got saved. Go along and check out to see whether they're really born again. I wonder what you'd look for. I wonder what would be the evidence you need to see to know that they're the real deal. So it says in Acts 11 verse 23 when Barnabas rocked up, when he came and saw the grace of God. And other translations say when he saw the evidence of the grace of God. What did he see? Well, I don't, it doesn't tell us, but changed lives, people loving one another, People, the grace of God, the doctrine that they'd received obviously changed them in their lifestyles. He saw something that made him absolutely convinced this is the real deal. And he, and he goes on to say, and he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Grace that permeates your life gets seen. People see the grace of God in you. They don't just hear about it. They don't just have you telling them, by the way, the grace of God has permeated my life as well. They start to touch it. They see it. It rubs off on them. It's infectious. It's alive. One of, one of, the, one of the joys I have is going often around all the venues of new community. And most of you don't have that experience, which is really sad. Because the stories are not only great here but they're great in other places. And in that Elton congregation at the moment, there's a number of people who've become Christians 
from a drink-dependent background, from AA. And there's like two rows of them when you preach. And a couple of them have just so come into the understanding of the grace of God and its permutation in their life. It's just rubbing off onto everybody. They are so excited about Jesus. They are so thrilled about the grace of God. They're unembarrassed about the grace of God. They tell everybody, but here's the deal. All of their mates remember what they were like before and see the evidence of the grace of God, which is so attractive that they all want to know, is there any chance I can get to know this Jesus whom you have found? I can't tell you the excitement and the thrill of hanging out with these new Christians. Um, One of my goals in life is to keep all new converts away from long-standing Christians as long as possible. (laughs) Because the vibrancy and the naivety and the love and, and, and the sense of freshness is so attractive. All their friends are going, what, what, what's going on? This is amazing. Only God's grace and mercy could do this. And we have an opportunity as a church to not only understand and sing about the doctrines of God, but let it permeate our lives, but then allow it to be demonstrated, not just through a few individuals, but through us corporately as well. The way we relate to one another, accept one another, forgive one another when we make mistakes, the way we're not judgmental, we're not competitive. Wow, that's really attractive in the political climate in which we live at the moment. It's actually the complete opposite. Doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what you think about things, we're all one in Christ. And however diverse we've become, we're all one in Christ. And then you understand this, that what's attractive is the way we live and even the way we speak. I think this is real important. I'm going to just finish with this real quick and then we're going to pray. We spoke to, we, we, even the way you speak tells me something about whether the grace of God has really permeated your life. It's the evidence of the grace of God. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always Be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Christians should be gracious in the way they speak to one another. We should also be really gracious in the way we speak to people who don't yet know Jesus. If I get into a conversation with an aggressive atheist, The way that I debate can be won or lost just by the way I speak. I I love aggressive atheists. They're my favorite people in the world. My first thing with aggressive atheists is, I'm so glad to meet you. The level of faith that you must have to, with all the evidence around us, to believe there is no God. How did you make that step of faith? That is amazing. It's an interesting conversation from that point on. I really admire you. I don't know how on earth you should have such faith. Be gracious. It's not about winning arguments. Or you meet someone who's, there's a lot of people, anti-Christian. They're bitter. Often because they think you believe something, though they don't really know what you do believe. We live in a modern world which is hateful. Social media. The way people 
expressed themselves. Sadly, even Christians sometimes on social media. We've got to get to a place where Christian community is gracious, even with those who disagree with us. This is a big, if you haven't got what I'm trying to say, this is, this is coming, folks. And we need to somehow communicate. There are a lot of people who would love to know this. Because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you hate them. And one of the ways that they can, you can prove that you don't hate is just the way you speak, the way you interact. There are all sorts of things that I disagree with. I don't agree with the Islamic religion. It doesn't mean I hate Muslims. In fact, the opposite. I totally love them. I believe that marriage, we had a fantastic wedding here yesterday, is only between a man and a woman. Our government has decided differently. That a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. I don't agree with that. But it doesn't mean I hate the people who do that. Gracious in the way we correspond. Gracious in the way we speak. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And that means that we're the real deal because of the grace of God that interacts with us to those around. Folks, we are carriers of good news. We are carriers of the grace of God. Let it be seen. Let your light shine. Be salt. Be light in the world through your weakness. Let people see the strength of God through being a jar of clay. Let them see the treasure through our imperfections and being up and down. Nevertheless, may they see something of the grace of God that is with us. Amen.